Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live, August 26th, 2015. Today we have a quote from the Melinda Panha. So again, not the words of the Buddha. Robin, would you like to read for us? Would you mind reading for us? Sure. As a mongoose approaches a snake to seize it only after having supplied his own body with an antidote, so too the earnest student of meditation on approaching this world, abounding as it is in anger and malice, plagued by quarrel, strife, contention, and hatred, must first anoint his mind with the antidote of love. Again, the danger, he seems, there seems to be a theme here. It's a good quote. It seems like a proper translation, but it's a part of a, of a much larger whole, much larger. If you read through the list, they're beyond count. There's at least, looks like to be almost a hundred, a hundred similes. Um... King Melinda asks Nagasena, with how many qualities must a member, must a bhikkhu be endowed to realize arahatship? So what qualities are necessary to attain arahatship? This is an important chapter, an important uh, dialogue. It's an important question, right? And the answer is just awesome. He doesn't just say three or five or even ten. He says, The bhikkhu, o king, who wishes to attain arahatship must take... Must take is an odd translation. Uh, must try take one quality of the donkey, five qualities of the rooster, one quality of the squirrel, one of the female panther, one of the two of the male panther, five of the tortoise, one of the bamboo, one of the bow, two of the crow, two of the monkey, one of the gourd, three of the lotus, two of the seed, one of the sal tree, three of a ship, two of an anchor, one of the mast, three of the pilot, one of the sailor, five of the ocean, etc., 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 and then Melinda asks Nagasena, what did you mean by one of the, what do you mean he needs one quality of the such and such and such and such, all the way down to the mongoose. The old translation is mongoose. The new word, I guess, is mongoose. And then finally, he gets to number 35. Venerable Nagasena, what is the one, that one quality of the mongoose you say he ought to take? What, what is it? And then we get this. So it's perfectly valid and it's a great teaching. It's just that there tends to be an emphasis on metta. If you've noticed, you know, Buddhists tend to emphasize this because it's, it's nice. You know, it's comforting. It feels good to practice metta, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's 
just that the need to feel good is problematic. And metta isn't going to bring you by itself to arahatship. So it's actually taken out of context like this. It's um, and it's not a proper representative of the series of teachings. It's important. It's an important protection. Metta is an antidote. And the, it's not an antidote, it's like a protection. So the point is that snakes are poisonous, and apparently the mongoose has a way of uh, neutralizing the poison. Metta is something that neutralizes the poison. It keeps poison, keeps the poison of hate, the poison of anger, the poison of malice and quarrel and strife and contention from overcoming the heart. Metta is one of the four protective meditations. There's Buddha, mindfulness of the Buddha protects you from doubt or uncertainty. Mindfulness of death protects you from uh, laziness, complacency. Uh, mindful or meditation on repulsiveness protects you from lust. Meditation on metta protects you from anger. So these four are the four protective meditations. Metta is one of them, and it's one of the great Brahma Viharas, the abodes of God, godly abodes highest abodes, ultimate abidings. Because it's in in samsara it's the high it's one of the highest. And these are our ultimate. But they're still in samsara. Because it still involves thoughts about beings, about entities, which don't really exist. Nonetheless, it's a quality of an arhant to have metta to be to give rise to metta easily. It's an important outcome of the practice as well. The best way to cultivate the four Brahmaviharas is to be enlightened, is to first cultivate insight meditation, because it it clears the mind, cleans the mind, purifies the mind. A pure mind is much better able to give rise to love, compassion, um, appreciation, and equanimity. But I would recommend reading the entire section of the Melinda Panha. You can find it on sacred text. It's an old translation. But, you know, in some cases the old ones are, the, are good. So if you go to sacred-texts.com front slash B-U-D you'll find this file. And there's the link to the second half of the Melinda Panha. You should read the whole of the Melinda Panha. The first half is also awesome. But it's what we're looking at is I don't know where it is now. It's in there somewhere. It's just such a huge 
Uh, yeah, it's in book seven. So here's what we're actually looking at today is in book seven part, part two, book seven or something. Book seven, no, book seven, chapter one. Here's the link to the actual chapter. And you'll see right away the, the one quality of the ass. And by ass is meant donkey. And five of the cock is meant rooster. And so you can see what the, where this teaching comes from. If you scroll down to number 36, no, 35, you'll see, and one of the mongoose, and that's one of the mongoose. So then you have to scroll down and see. Actually, the mongoose is in the next chapter, I think, chapter 2. It's worth reading. The whole of the Melindapanha is worth reading. It's, it's a it's an awesome text and you know what there's some debate as to whether it was actually uh, all between uh, Melinda and Nagasena Nagasena was the arahant who's supposed to have given all these answers but uh, academics believe that it was over time added to you know expanded but who knows either way it's an awesome book it's commentarial and it's quite later, quite a bit later after the Buddha. I think I'm actually I'm not actually sure how old how old it's supposed to be. I'm not really up on these things. How old is the Melinda Panha? You can look that up while you reset the the live stream. Hmm. Discussion about 500 years after the death of the Buddha. So it's around the time of the commentaries. You have to read the introduction. But uh, read the introduction because it's really interesting to learn about the Melinda Panha. It's a part of Buddhist history. It's something we should read. It might even be more interesting to us than the uh, Visuddhimagga. Visuddhimagga is a bit difficult going, no? But the Melinda Panna is awesome for just questions and answers. It'd be a good one for the book of the month for, you know, it'd be like the book of the year <laughs> or more for the stack, stack exchange group. But it would definitely be worth studying. Oh, well, after the Visuddhimagga, I guess. I've never read the whole Melinda Panna. It's big, but it would be worth reading. Pardon me, Bhante, are you able to reset the live stream? It went down. Yep. I think. It's supposed to reconnect by itself. Why isn't it doing that? It's on auto reconnect and it's not doing it. Okay, so that's about all I have to say about that. Does anybody have any questions? We're answering questions at meditation.sirimangalo.org and you have to be here live to ask them.
I know, I know. It's a big pain, but... Maybe we'll change that someday. We have someone who had to be at work, so he popped on and typed it in a little earlier. Mm. Maybe we could have people mail in the questions. Like, send me a, a letter, a postcard or something. Then I can have them here and read them, I'll have a list of them. Because, you know, going through email, and email is just too easy and people are lazy. And, you know, if you if you put the effort to, to mail it to me, then I know you really want an answer. And the, I mean, by lazy, I mean a lot of the questions have already been answered and they're on the internet already. So... I get a lot, a lot of questions and I don't, I've as a rule stopped answering them via email because the other thing is answering via email is, you know, then you have to find a keyboard, a computer. Uh, we had, if people sent me postcards, if you wanted a question answered on, on the live stream, Send me send the postcard. Mahosa does two words. Someone's asking, Ryan's asking, what does Mahosa does Mahosada mean something? Mahosada, you have to read the are you I guess you're maybe reading the Maha Umaga Jataka? Jataka five forty five forty I don't remember. Five forty two, five forty five. The Mahamaga Jataka is the awesome one that I recommended everyone read. Um, if you read it, the beginning gives you the answer. It would if you knew Pali. Um, and it's a funny way to give the, you know, I, it's it's almost as though they, they included, they, uh, they added to the story because of his name. You're kind of suspicious about whether, which way it happened. But the story goes that Mahosada, um, Oh, congratulations. Just finished reading it. What did you think? Let me know. I'll, I'll start answering. Let me let us know what you thought of it. Whether I'm whether it was right to say it's worth reading. So this woman gets pregnant and well, if I, this woman gives birth and as she's giving birth uh, the king of the god, the angels, Saka realizes that this guy is going to be uh, this is the bodhisattva and he's going to be a great being and so he wants to start him off famous he wants to let everyone know how, how awesome he is so he takes a root uh, like a, a heavenly medicine and he sticks it in the baby's hand when the baby uh is being if you read the if you read the online translation that's done by Kawal, it's wrong. Uh, I started translating it, and it says that he appear he shows himself. He he went down. The king of the gods went down and made himself visible, and stuck uh, this root in the baby's fist. But what he actually did is is made himself invisible. It's a mistranslation. Anyway, not a big deal. Uh, so he stuck this this root in the baby's hand, and when the baby comes out, they wonder, what's he got in his hand? And they say, oh, he's got this root in his hand. Well, what the heck? How did he get this root in his mother's womb? 
and they take it from him and they examine it and they start using it and they realize that it's this very, very potent, awesome, great medicine. And just the smallest bit of this root will cure any sickness. That's what it says. That's the story. So they give him the name of great medicine, Maha Osada or Mahosada when it comes together. Osada means medicine, Maha is great. So Mahosada means great medicine. Yeah, it's pretty epic. It's an epic jataka. It goes goes from before he's born and then you know detailing the birth, childhood, growing up, all the way until he's um all the things he it's I mean it's it's a much of much a story. He he totally he's he's he becomes well he first of all he solves problems of all of his friends when he's seven years old. He solves all these dilemmas. Then he's um, spotted by the king, and they want to test him. So he goes through all these tests put on by the king, and those are really funny. My favorite one is this: um, the, the kings they want to test Mahosada, and so they say, "Well, if you're so wise, here's what we want you to do." The king is tired of his old uh, pond, his old old bathing pond. And he wants you to bring him a new one to the palace. So bring him a new bathing pond. And he says, to, he tells the Mohosita's village that if, if the village is un, incapable of doing it, he's going to find every household a thousand gold or something like that. And they bring it to Mohosita. And Mohosita says, Oh, is that all? That's easy. And he says, Here's what you're going to do. And so he tells them what to do. Next morning, these men big strong men show up at the gate covered in mud and water and carrying ropes and pitchforks and clubs and so on and demanding to talk to the king and the king sees them and he says what, what, where, what's wrong what, you know, what are you doing here without what I asked you to get and they say oh we tried your majesty we found a beautiful one and we had her all tied up and we're bringing her towards the bringing her to the city but when she got close to the city she she, she freaked and, and ran off we, here's what we ask your majesty give us your old uh, bathing pond and we'll mate them together and bring them both back surely if she has a, a mate she'll, she'll come back so they turn it back on him and, they, and, and of course he can't produce he can't give them the old pond because it's a ridiculous request. So he gives them all these impossible requests and Mohosada manages to fix, manages to solve them. And then finally he's made a advisor to the king and then there's these four other advisors who try to um, sabotage him and, and to frame him for all sorts of things. And it's amazing what he does. Then he gets married and... Then he falls out of favor with the king, and he, uh, the king wants to marry this woman. Uh, and there's there's like other kings attacking this. The, the other kings come and attack their city of Wideha, and Mahosada repulses them. And then he wants, and then they trick the king. The, the king is really dumb. He's um, he's a simpleton. He's actually. Later on, I think he becomes Laludai, who was one. Who was the monk who was famous for being kind of of low intelligence. 
I don't think he ever became enlightened. It was like one. He was like goofy, basically, and so he makes all these silly judgment calls, and the 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 king, the enemy kings, trick him into wanting to marry the king's daughter, and so. But they say you have to come to our city and get married there, and Mahosada goes first. So he, Mahosada tries to stop him. Says, "You moron! It's a trap." I mean, obviously, and uh, the king expels him and most said okay fine i'll go and fix things for him and so he goes there and and that's the the final part the really the climax of the of the book how he manages to stop this king from from falling into this trap what he does i mean it's it's kind of worldly i would say the whole story but for inspiration i think it's it's interesting if nothing else anyway, i think we've got some more important we have some questions. I've been experiencing strong emotions without any noticeable thoughts or reasons recently since meditating regularly. I was wondering if this may be related to the meditation work I've been doing. It can be. Meditation does several things. It um, keeps you from avoiding feelings, right? So normally we have ways of stopping our feelings from building up. When problems come, we 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 divert our attention. You know, uh, uh, seek out entertainment or intoxication, diversion, and so the diversion diverts us for a time, but it builds up anyway, and eventually it does come crashing down on us. But it's it's this cat game of cat and mouse that we play. Meditation isn't like that. Meditation, these emotions are constantly building up until you get strong enough in the mind to cut them off, to see them as they are and to stop to cut the chain. But until you can do that, because you're not avoiding them, they're going to build up. And, and you, until you can be free from them, they're just going to build up and build up. And this is the practice, is learning how to cut them off sooner, to cut them off more frequently so they don't build up. And so you have less... Of them to focus on the other thing is meditation opens the mind and stops you from i guess you could say repressing so another thing we do is uh, but it's still in reality it's still just diversion but it's another way of looking at it i guess is that meditation opens your mind up and allows you to experience the, the feelings The other thing is meditation might instigate negative feelings because of the pain. You know, it actually, not just normal emotions, but it actually can instigate stronger emotions because you would never otherwise experience such unpleasant states, right? Normally we would never sit through pain. Um, so we would never get such terrible anger and and frustration that comes from sitting through hours and hours of pain and unpleasantness um, chaotic, chaotic thoughts you know the stress that comes from these things until we learn to be objective and to stop reacting to them it can be far above and beyond what we normally experience so yeah definitely it's common should be shouldn't be something to be worried about absolutely but it's something that we have to change it's a, we're, we have a new approach to reality to stop avoiding and to start confronting but when you're not strong enough, confronting is more painful. 
what kind of food should we avoid to improve our practice? There's no teaching about that. There's no teaching on what food you should avoid. I just read something about how breakfast is... They were just praising breakfast again. But it was more for losing weight, which... Uh, no. You feel less hungry if you have a big breakfast, which is useful. Still, not as far as losing weight, but as far as being a monk or a meditator. You know, it shows, in a way, how easy it is to keep the eight precepts, how it's easier than you, you might think, because you have a big meal in the morning, and that tides you over for the day. But no, dietary restrictions are not thought to have any... I mean, they're not taken seriously enough to be included in the teachings. Not that it's a food, but you don't recommend caffeine during meditation, right? Right, but yeah, I mean, drugs are another thing. Well, coffee, you know, that kind of seems like a... Not food, but, you know, it's a drug. food. It's a drug. Like chocolate, you might have an argument, but coffee, no. I mean, I don't know. Some people say they get high off of chocolate, but I've never felt that. But coffee definitely is a drug. So coffee doesn't, or chocolate doesn't have caffeine. It has theobromine, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. But that functions just like that caffeine. It does have caffeine. I'm not sure if it. It it has theobromine, which functions yeah, exactly similar. like caffeine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've never felt it from felt anything from chocolate. Not like I feel from coffee. Yeah, I make a very, uh, a very um, strong hot cocoa with baking cocoa, and if you drink two cups of that, you're wired. That's true. I did that once, um, but it was still a bit of a different feeling. I don't. It's not exactly yeah. the same. But yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't have said exactly. It's very similar yeah. to caffeine. I definitely but... it was. Too much chocolate. I remember that. I did the hot yeah. cocoa thing with the powder, baking powder, or baking yeah. cocoa, whatever it is. That's very strong. Very is strong. is this the medicine, um, who you were referring to before, Mahasoda, is this the medicine Buddha or Bodhisattva? No. Mahasoda is the Bodhisattva. Uh, it's just the name of, of the man who the Bodhisattva was for that life. He was born and they named him Mahosiddha. Yeah, there's someone else named Medicine Buddha, I believe in Tibetan Buddhism, so no relation? No. No, okay. Bhante, there are physical locations, for example, where I walk my dog or travel routes to work that trigger negative thoughts that I find hard to let go of. What can I do to help me cleanse these places without avoiding them? Well, there's no such thing as negative thoughts. You have to be careful. Uh, a thought can't be negative. A thought is a thought. If you think, I'm going to kill my parents or something, it's still just a thought. But if you start to have the desire to do something wicked and evil, like you want to do it, then that's a problem. But just having stray thoughts can be, you know, it can be just a misfiring of the brain and so on. But yeah, it can be triggered by places. Places bring about memories, but they don't necessarily bring about emotions. Emotions can be negative. Emotions can be harmful. But it's important that you separate the thought out from those because 
the thought is neutral and if you can experience the thought or the recognition you recognize something and you go there you can say knowing knowing or recognizing or you know if you have this you feel in the mind hey i recognize that or that reminds me of something you can say reminding or recognizing or just thinking or knowing remembering uh, and that's it you know if you can stick with that then the emotions don't arise when the emotions come up i mean it's part of our practice it's, there's no need to avoid such places i mean if it's extreme if you have extreme states of um, obsession or whatever or their trigger you know like people have ptsd for example then yeah you might want to take it slowly but i suppose you could there's something to the idea if you if you couple med meditation with exposure therapy right when people talk about exposure be exposed becoming exposed to things that you don't like can be useful can be helpful well i think if you have meditation there's an if you have mindfulness there's an argument to be made there and if you if you if you're cultivating mindfulness then yeah exposure would be useful you mentioned before some spiritual beings that belong to maya could these beings be beyond some of the organized religions of the world who teach their followers to worship them i mean behind some of the organized religions I think. and by oh, maya you mean mara maya is a maya is more a hindu concept it's a bit different i think you mean mara and i think i did mention that not belong to but mara is mara the maras are sort of the higher angels who keep everybody intoxicated and yeah i mean from a buddhist point of view it's a reasonable hypothesis to suggest that such beings are those that are behind all of the many religions of the world i bet there's angels who like to be worshipped there's the angels see brahmas are uh, maras belong to the paranimita vasavati angels those angels that delight in the creations of others so they enjoy seeing the things that they enjoy manipulating others and so they might start wars just to see what happens when you, you know, it's like playing video games, right? <laughs> the, the angels use us to play video games, which is kind of sick, really. But, yeah, it's more than sick. But you could prob probably could, which is terrible. You know, I mean, that's the thing is angels are not necessarily good good beings. To become an angel, you need to be awesome. You need to be beyond good. You need to be great. But... Once you become an angel, you get bored, you get, you know, conceited, you get infatuated with your pleasure and enjoyment, and you think you're all powerful and going to live forever. It's just like rich people. And we would say rich people became rich from good karma, so they did something good in the past. It doesn't mean they're going to stay good. They get lazy, they get complacent, and they start doing very, very bad things, thinking that they are they deserve they forget through rebirth they forget that they've done good deeds to get there they think they deserve to be in power etc and so angels are very much the same 
So I imagine, yeah, it's reasonable to suggest that the angels are involved with wars. You know, the idea of a god of war, there's probably lots of angels that claim the status of god of war, pretend to be, I am the god of war, follow me, etc. So angels are kind of conceited? No, they can be. They're just beings. So it's possible for an angel to have all sorts of evil thoughts and deeds. I think if they get really angry, they die. There's a teaching that angels can die from anger. So if they're really evil, I think they lose, they fall from the state of being an angel. But there are ways to avoid that, temporarily anyway. Can one have emotional moments without attachment or reaction to it? It feels like witnessing it occurring without attachment. Is that healthy? Depends what emotions you mean. If you're angry, that's not something wholesome. It's unwholesome. If you have desire, then that's also unwholesome. If you have love, that's a good emotion. Compassion, that's positive. If there are harmful emotions, and it doesn't matter whether you're attached or not. I mean, being unattached is, is important because it means you don't perpetuate it, but it's already not a good thing. You don't, I mean, you, you, on one hand, you don't have to think like that. You can think it's harmless, you know, it's, or you neutralize it further. It's, it's inherently not good, but if you're mindful, if you just see it as anger or desire, then it is neutralized, so there's no further future further um, cultivation of it. You know, since I've been doing these videos, interesting thing has happened. What's that? I think I've started losing subscribers on YouTube. <laughs> I was just looking at the analytics. There's this page that's like a dashboard that tells you all what's going on. Not exactly losing subscribers, but it, the number of new subscribers has definitely gone down. The number of unsubscribes has gone way up. Oh, maybe because people are getting a notification every single day about a new video. Are, are you getting notification every day about a new video? I, I took my notifications off just oh. because my phone buzzes enough as it is. You get so. notifications like that? Oh, dear. I was. I, I was at one point. I was getting, I forgot what it was, but it was something that was making my phone buzz. And since you often upload videos in the wee hours of the morning, my, my phone was buzzing at 2 and 3 a.m. So I did have to silence that part of it. But That's terrible. I think, I, I think YouTube is... I don't think I'm getting any notifications for sure, but I think YouTube's on my spam list, probably for that same reason. Yeah, it's yeah. all in the settings. You can get a, a an audit, audit, audible notification, like a Facebook message or anything else, but it's kind of annoying. Yeah, if you look at the day that I started doing these, <laughs> the subscriptions went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well... But those are all the fringe people. I think your core, yes. you know, your core viewers are probably really happy to see you out there so often. 
Yeah, I mean, there's days, there's days where I lost six subscribers. I mean, I don't care. I mean, what is it? But I mean, it's it's something when you think, oh, maybe this is people don't like this. Maybe this is something. But you know, what can I do? What does it mean? We're not going to stop doing these videos, right? No. It'd just be nice if YouTube didn't send out, you know, once a day notifications. Yeah. I mean, a person just has to go them. into their settings to remove the, you know, whatever it is that that makes your phone buzz. But, but I guess if other people upload once a week, they want to, some people want to get those notifications. Maybe. Huh. Aruna gets notification via email for yeah. new. That's that's a better way to do it. That's what I, I think that's you can set it to that. But that's what I was getting. But I don't see them because I think I clicked that they were spam. What? <laughs> and now they go to my spam folder. There's a new live stream. Uh, um, YouTube has a live stream interface, which we're not using. Wow. Oh, and there's an encoder. If I had an encoder, I think that's... Um, yeah, I don't know. So this is Google having doing too many things, and so there's Hangouts on the one hand, and then there's YouTube live streaming on the other hand. But I think the Hangout one is better, actually. I've noticed that many monks whose Dhamma talks I've heard on YouTube begin their talks with namotasa. Just out of curiosity, is there a reason you don't begin your online talks that way? Sorry, I'm absorbed in this. Oh, sorry. Give me a second here. Sure. I shouldn't be, right? I should, they were live. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's talk about that later. Sorry, question, say again. Yes, um, question, Many monks begin their Dhamma talks online with namotasa, but you don't. Is there a reason that you don't? Hmm. I don't consider my online talks to be formal. And even formal talks, um, I'll often just say namaturatanatayasa. But if I give a formal talk in Thai, then I'll do it just the way they do namotasa three times. And then you bring up a, a verse, you'll... You have a verse which you're going to talk about or a passage that you, like this quote, for example. If I was going to give a talk on this quote, I would say Namotasa three times and then I would uh, repeat this. I mean, part of my reluctance to do such things is, on the one hand, lots of people like that kind of thing. On the other hand, there's always going to be, be people who say, what the heck, I came here for some something you know, more objective, less religious right i mean why should you say namotasa there's a i mean i think it's great it's a good thing you know you're paying respect to the buddha but i don't know i guess there's nothing wrong with it but it just seems kind of hokey for to some people i think so in order to keep this open to people and to keep it focused on what's important I haven't been so respectful, I suppose. But you know, it's not it's not that. There's no when monks would go and teach people look in the suttas, they didn't all say namotasa before they started talking. 
but right, you're talking about the online talks. I don't know. It seems a bit a bit um, and it's, uh, um, ostentatious. I think is the word. I guess there's a good argument for it. It's respectful, no? And it's tradition. We do start our Visuddhimagga class with someone taking refuge every week, which is nice. Mm -hmm. I think that's really nice. It's a good tradition. I guess it's part of the, um, what is the audience? What is the the context? So the, uh, the context of YouTube, I think it's probably a bad idea because of this sort of, um, the niche, I guess, that my channel is set to fill is a sort of a very secular, open, un, you know, low, low barrier for entry, just giving the bare facts and ideas about meditation practice. So to, to do something traditional like that, I mean, something that would appeal only to people who have faith in the Buddha, it's You know, I mean, it's a tradition that has arisen. I don't think it's something that they did in the time of the Buddha. Though I can't say for sure. So it's context, you know, if I give a talk. I suppose I don't even do it that often. I mean, when I, I probably should when I'm doing it in front of Buddhists. But... No, I've seen other monks who just just say Ratnamatu Ratanatayasa and that's it. It basically means the same thing. It's actually more all inclusive. It includes the three. Namatu uh, may there be my homage. Ratanatayasa to the three Ratanas. Triple gem. Oh, when you publish your video, you can uncheck the box saying notify. Well, there you go. That's exactly. What Except I'm not publishing. These are these are automatically publishing. Mm, doesn't work. So that's the thing. There, there shouldn't that shouldn't happen for live streams. You shouldn't get notifications for live streams, but obviously people are because I don't think people would be unsubscribing this month otherwise. Anyway, that's fine. I mean. What's a subscription, right? The subscription means you get those those notifications. It doesn't mean you won't see these things. I wouldn't want to subscribe to my channel. Gee, getting daily updates. Simon wants to know if it's Mara making you lose subscribers. What is the difference between the aggregate of sensations and the aggregate of perceptions? Yeah, I don't use the word perceptions, but some people do. The word sanya is interesting, and someone, a bhikkhuni recently pointed out to me that she thinks it means perception or uh, consciousness, but it's. I think that's unreasonable. It's only because the Buddha uses the word sanya in different contexts to mean different things, but sanya in the context of the three refuge, the th in context of the five aggregates, refers to recognition and seeing things as similar to something else. So when you see a 
when you see a shiny gold coin, the recognition that it's shiny and that it's gold, wait, the recognition I don't know the, the the recognition of the of of the color it's that's gold the knowledge the recognition that it's gold that is sanya the uh, mere experience is there's just a simile I was thinking about but it doesn't it's not really important but sanya is when you recognize this is like something else so I see this picture in front of me I say hey that looks like me. <laughs> Uh, so, but it's not me. But it looks like me. It reminds. It's like similar. So that's a recognition. Hey, that's my face. I can see on the screen. Oh, look. There's Robin. But it's not. It's a recognition and it, this the similarity. That's Sanya. Vedana, which your probably is your word you're translating as sensations, is simple feeling. It's the aspect of experience that is painful. Feeling, pleasant feeling, or neutral feeling, either physical or mental. So those are the difference of those, between those two. If what you're talking about is Vedana and Sanya, then that's the difference. They're quite different. They're completely different. What's the difference between liking and disliking and craving and aversion? I don't understand how that's confusing liking is liking disliking is disliking i'm confused they're, they're opposites right? they're, it's like black and white what's the difference between black and white they're they're completely different desire feels like a magnet aversion is like the opposite magnet Would you ever consider doing a live online meditation event? Sure. We could do um, from eight to nine. We could do live online meditation. Oh. But it, but hang out on air. It would it would be the problem is it would be it would be recorded and people would get notifications. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, another thing we can do is have a webcam set up, which we did before. I did downstairs. I mean, once we have our own place, it'll be more easy, I think. Uh, set up a camera and then a, a web page that shows the camera, but it would just be flashing images every second or so. Um, and huh, it's funny, that would be uploading. It's interesting. Yeah, uploading the image. And people could go to the web page and could see what's happening in the room at any given time. In fact, we could, I could have that on 24-7, really. Because, because it's uploading. And uploading in for our internet provider, we don't it doesn't count against our limit. So we can upload as much as we want. Could even stream video constantly. Stream. Could do a constant JPEG. You have to upload JPEGs, so it would be how many JPEGs you can upload. Can you do one a second? I don't know. 
Vaya, se usa. That was cool when you had the, the uh, webcam. People from the very early days, the meditation group will remember that because it was only about a week or so that that, that was up, mm. right? That was cool. Yeah, and then I left or something happened and I just didn't. I mean, it's in the living room downstairs and people use that room. So yeah. put, setting a camera up, it's not really. Now, if everyone was going to be live for the meditation event, that platform that you found, the big blue button, mm -hmm. that would be cool. But what was the problem with that? You needed server space? Well, it's in, it's resource intensive. Um, we don't actually. The problem is it uses Nginx. I don't know how you say that. Uh, yeah, I think it's pronounced Nginx. And we use Apache, which most people use. Hey, I should talk to the Linux guys, see if they can move us over to... This. So like, I've got reliable Linux people in Australia. Um, well, I guess we should just trust, right? Why not? Give them the keys to the ship, even though I've never met them. See, that's the problem, really. We don't know them, and even if they are reliable IT people, it doesn't mean they're Buddhist. Should we just be trusting? I mean, not, nothing's most likely going to happen. And what could possibly happen? What's the worst? Um, but if I gave it to them, then it would just be a matter of moving us over to Nginx, figuring out how to get WordPress running on Nginx. And yeah, we don't have a very complicated setup. PHP is the only thing that we have to get working, really. Oh, and MySQL. PHP and MySQL. Don't think there's much else. Oh, there's... I think that's it. I don't know. I'll have to talk to someone about setting up Nginx on our server. Because that's... Right now, it's all set up, actually. Big Blue Button is on our server. It just won't run because it requires Nginx to be running. Oh, okay. The other thing I'm not sure is whether having it run with Nginx means we can also have WordPress running um, as well. Because what they want you to do is put this on its individual server. That's the problem here. So I don't know if that's possible. I should actually just consult them first. Consult them about what they think. Whether they can get me some information on this. And then a follow-up on the question about liking, disliking, craving, and aversion. The latter seems more attainable to eradicate. Oh, the pairs. The difference between liking and disliking and craving and aversion. I see. Well, they're just words, no? Liking is craving. Disliking is aversion. I think you've spoken about that, how things that make you suffer are easier to easier to recognize, easier to, you know, the things that we like are, are harder to um, not explaining it right, but the, the things that make you suffer are easier to be mindful of and to oh, recognize. Yeah. I don't think that's what they're asking. No. I think they're asking no. liking and disliking versus craving and aversion which still doesn't make too much. I mean, they're pretty much synonymous as well. 
But if you're saying the difference between liking and disliking, I mean, yeah, there's that as well. But you know, there's lots of differences. Liking can be pleasurable. Disliking is always painful. Someone, one of my old friends from high school, um, just posted recently on Facebook, Anger Week. And it was all in praise of anger. <laughs> <laughs> and I posted a comment, which is probably a bad idea, but I posted a comment saying, but anger is so terrible. <laughs> she wrote back and I said, what good could come of that? And she said, oh, she, she was... Uh, expression, uh, letting it out. Um, as long as it's not hurting anyone, anger can be helpful or something like that. What's hurting you? I said, I disagree that that's possible. <laughs> that's what I said, basically. It's painful. Anger is intrinsically painful. And anger leads you to be more angry, leads you to be more likely to get angry. You know, emotions are habitual. I guess the point is that they're tired of repressing their anger. They're tired of fighting against it. So they just give in. Well, we'll see how that works for them. <laughs> is there any benefit from school and education or is it pointless? Depends what school and what education. If it gets you a job, well, that's not pointless because then you can live in the world. You know, be more streamlined if you were to just become a recluse and leave the world but if you're not going to do that then yeah there's a big point to going to school because it helps you get a job if it doesn't help you get a job then yeah maybe it's pointless i mean a degree in fine art would probably from a buddhist point of view be pointless sorry to fine art student um i mean to some extent people would argue that fine art can be used in spiritual expression but i, I don't know maybe a degree in, let me start picking on people's degrees. <laughs> I don't know, a degree in mathematics. No, but all these things would help you get a job. But if it doesn't help you get a job, then yeah, it could be potentially useless. On the other hand, even as a monk, some skills come in handy. I can't think of many offhand, but I've had to use math skills as a monk you know, when building things. If you have, if you were a film student, then yeah, you, you could do the kinds of things I'm doing a lot easier because you'd have some background knowledge of things like reverse telecine. Remember the nightmare that was reverse telecine, trying to understand this concept and why my videos were not... <laughs> <laughs> they were not coming out properly reverse telecine is all liking and disliking supposed to be eradicated yes it's not even that it's supposed to be it's that you eventually realize that it's harmful and not useful and so you give it up naturally. It's not something you have to believe or you have to subscribe to as being bad. But if you look at all things equally, you'll be able to see the difference and that liking and liking don't help you. Liking and disliking don't help you at all.
Okay, maybe we'll stop it there. It's been almost an hour. If you have more questions, should be back tomorrow. So see you all then. Thank you, Bhante. Thank you, Robin. Good night. Good night.